Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. If you've ever been faced with the sudden task of overseeing a loved one's care when they're admitted to a hospital or when they're being discharged to rehab or transitioned back home, well, you know how confusing and overwhelming it can be to navigate our complicated healthcare system. In today's episode, we talk with Nicole Christensen, the founder and CEO of Care Answered, about her long career advocating for older adults, beginning with her formative experiences working in a nursing home. Nicole described the many dimensions of patient advocacy, from helping people know their options for care, to making sure they get the services they need, to guiding them through the maze of health care decisions so their caregivers can have peace of mind. Nicole will offer some pragmatic advice, like how to prepare for doctor's visits, what questions to ask medical staff at a hospital, and make sure you understand the answers and what documents need to be prepared for a healthcare emergency. The author of From Crisis to Calm, Nicole passionately believes that everyone deserves the best possible care, and to ensure some such care, she helps patients be prepared, not scared. So, Nicole, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Ron. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's a pleasure to have you. So Nicole and I have known each other for quite some time, and I've been trying to get her on the show for quite some time. <laughs> She's busy, so uh, we got her, and I'm really delighted to have her. Uh, and the first thing I would like to do, I, I um, people can go to my website, roelresources.com, click on the 45 Forward tab, and you can get some more background about Nicole. But I usually uh, like, instead of reading someone's resume, I like them to describe their journey, because that's what this show is about. It's about specific topics, but it's about people's journey into the second half of life. And it's often a fascinating journey. And often people start off and it's one place and then they end up in completely different places and often very interesting places. So to tell us a little bit more, I mentioned just a little bit in the intro about how you started, but give us about how you got to where you are today. Well, thank you. Yes. I think everybody has a very interesting story, don't they? So I started out, I actually uh, was born and raised on Long Island Hmm. and my first real job was in a nursing home and uh, it was the title, which is a horrible title. I hope it doesn't exist anywhere (laughs) anymore. Um, So I was 16 years old and it was, the title was patient feeder. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds horrible. Um, but I actually enjoyed it very much because it gave me an opportunity to meet uh, these residents of this nursing home and talk to them and engage with them. And again, as you said, they have fabulous, fabulous stories. Every person mm-hmm. is unique. Um, and I really loved it. I also had the great opportunity. I'm the youngest of six children. Mm-hmm. And I had the great opportunity to know and be close with my great aunts and my great uncles and surrounded by that wisdom a lot. Um, So I didn't realize until I was older that not everybody has that opportunity. Um, And so that's probably I don't know. You know, people said when I was little, oh, she has an old soul. But (laughs) I don't really know. 
I don't really know how it it all came to be, but I just loved being in the in the presence of older adults and them sharing with me all of their knowledge and life stories. So that's probably how it all started. Um, but then from there, uh, after high school, I went to school for musical theater, which is not exactly what I do now. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so as you said, life takes us on on trips and turns. But after, after uh, I didn't graduate with a degree in musical theater, I graduated a degree in psychology eventually. Um, and then I went on to advocate for seniors in Washington, D.C., as a volunteer, actually, I was mm. with Vincentian Service Corps. I'm Catholic, and uh, Vincentian Service Corps they focus on community, spirituality, um, and living in poverty and helping others and volunteering. Mm. So uh, that's what I did. It was definitely uh, changed my life trajectory. Um, I was planning on getting a master's in urban affairs to help businesses run better and do better by their by their teams um, and make them more efficient. And I took this year and I said, I want to continue to advocate for seniors. That's what I want to do. So uh, from there, I got a master's in urban affairs, which was uh, a focus on policy uh, and advocacy in the, especially in the world of nonprofits. And I did a lot of that. Um, make creating advocacy programs in DC and New York City and on Long Island. And then, you know, nine years ago, almost 10, I started Care Answered. And mm. that was really a pull from my work experience mm-hmm. as well as my personal experience that really I I had a calling. That's the only thing I can say. Yeah. It was a calling. And uh, I took that leap of faith because my son was two. Mm, <laughs> and yeah. um, I was leaving a full-time job and starting on this new path that I had no idea. I was, mm-hmm. I, I was fortunate enough to have the time to do the research and recognize it was an actual thing, which is good. <laughs> and um, And then started Care Answered from there. Yeah. I love these stories because uh, it just reinforces what I think, which is that um, people uh, lead these journeys and, you know, you start off and a lot of us go to college and we think we're going to go from college into a career. Right. <laughs> it's like, and, uh, you know, we end up doing nothing. I mean, there's no, there, well, I don't know, there might be some, you know, uh, formal college education that leads to pair, patient advocacy, but there's no major in patient advocacy yeah there is now actually but not when i was yeah not when i was going but in addition to that you know all the different experiences you've had really inform you in in ways you know in sort of a zigzag way but it all kind of reinforces and gives you skills that you would never have thought apply but as i'm listening to all of of your experiences they all kind of do apply because patient advocacy takes a lot of skills from a lot of different directions. So so why don't we actually, why don't we uh, just go from there and tell us a little bit more about the field of patient advocacy, because there are lots of different variations on this theme. So uh, give, give us some of the broader context and then how you you look at it in particular. Absolutely. So um, patient advocacy is kind of what it sounds like and kind of not, right? When I first started, people were like, so you're a lawyer? <laughs> I'm like, no, yeah, right. no, I yeah. am not. I am not a lawyer, which I get it. 
Um, but what a, an advocate really is, is somebody that is a cheerleader, is the, is the person there for you advocating for your best, whatever it is, right? So um, again, in, in, in Catholicism, the advocate is actually the Holy Spirit, right? So mm. I'm not that, I'm not that kind of advocate. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but it's really, um, and people can utilize it in different ways because it's really, again, just making sure that people are, for me, and care answered, it's people empowering people to know what the questions are and to know that they have, it's all patient-centered, right? So you mm -hmm. yourself have the knowledge about you yourself. You don't have to be a clinician. You don't have to be an MD. You don't have to be any kind of clinician to say, I am Nicole or I am Ron or I am whoever I am and I know my body and this is what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. But the difference is being able to articulate that, being able to ask the right questions, to get answers until you feel satisfied with those answers, and to know all of your options for care. That's a big thing. You know, if we don't know what we don't know, and when we're patients, mm -hmm. generally speaking, we're very vulnerable, right? You know, even if we're going for just a well visit or yearly visit, we're generally half naked, if not completely naked. Mm -hmm. It's a very vulnerable position. Right. And so being equipped is really important. So I'm a board certified patient advocate. That's a certification that one can get. Um, we're very big on ethics and what we can do. Again, we do not make choices for people. Mm -hmm. We are there to make sure that they know all of the options so that they can make their best choice. And for myself and Kara Answered, it's about then steering them to that choice so that they feel empowered to make their decisions. And we're right there holding their hands if that's what they wish. Um, but we want to make sure that they know all of the information and their clinicians know all the information about them. Yeah, uh, that's that's terrific. And I, I do think that, you know, when you're thrown into the system, um, you know, you're kind of uh, uh, stunned a little bit by, by, by the complication and also the jargon and you're overwhelmed and in some cases you feel overmatched, right? I mean, you don't know the medical jargon. And and uh and and I, and I think that you know, now our healthcare system is is so, you know, it's so it it's patient driven, but not in the ways that we always like. And it's right. uh financially driven. So, you know, you come in and you often speak to a physician's assistant and then then he or she asks a bunch of questions, and then then you're handed off to the physician, and often the physician comes in asking many of the same questions, and you're like, "Okay, uh, are, you, are you listening to me?" And then, and you're 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 you said you're right, you're vulnerable, and you feel sort of intimidated, and sometimes mm -hmm. you feel afraid to ask questions. And I think your role is to basically say, "No, no, no. Here are the questions you need to ask," and sometimes you're not sure how to ask them, and so right. yeah. Because that's where, you know, you get answers and you're like, what does that mean? You know, and, <laughs> exactly. and, and, and you feel, you know, like, I've, yeah, you feel like oh, I should know what that means. And you feel a little bit stupid or whatever. And you don't ask. You're right. It's intimidating. It can be very intimidating. They have a term for that, the white coat syndrome, right? So oh. whoever has the white coat knows what they're talking about. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying anything about negative about clinicians at all. They go to school a long time. They know their stuff, but they don't know your body. 
They can mm-hmm. only go by what you tell them. You know, there's obviously a number of tests people can run, the clinicians can run, but you are your best advocate if you can do it for yourself or you could be uh, one for a loved one because of the, they're, these doctors are not mind readers. That's the thing. You think of a clinician, okay, they can help me, but they can't read your mind. So the things that you're not asking, the things that you're not saying, they don't know. And without that, you can't get the care you need. So we're there to make sure that you're asking and bringing those things up. So for example, I had a client and patient advocacy is not as familiar as a term as it will be in the next five years, right? It's much more familiar than it was when I started, but it's still growing and it's growing astronomically, which is great for all of us who are patients, which should be all of us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's one of those things. People just don't know what they don't know. So I had um, a gentleman who was in the hospital and the family had asked me to advocate on his behalf, which I was happy to do very lovely family. And I went in there and there was a a clinician that came in, a doctor, and they were using all sorts of jargon. And we can all be, um, we we can all do this, right? Right. Whatever world, whatever world of work, even in our own families, we think we're speaking English like everybody else or whatever language like everybody else. But you have these things within your family, even that somebody comes in and has no idea what you're talking about because you're going by memories and all these things and you're laughing too hard for anybody to understand what's going on. But the same thing happens with our vernacular that we're comfortable in our workplace. Right. So the thing is about vernacular, in um, for a clinician uh, or in the healthcare system is it has to be our vernacular as, as patients, but they may be speaking in a way. And if you don't say something like, I don't understand, you may miss the boat. You, you should never, ever, this is what, if nothing else, if people just know, they should never feel stupid or dumb when it comes to their health. If you don't understand something, Ask until you understand. It is right. so important. It's your life. Right. So I had this this client, and he was that the clinician was saying all this sorts of jargon, and I just said, um, "Can you just break that down like I'm five for these people? Because it's most important that the that my clients understand. Right. Even if I do, that's not my job to explain it. That's a clinician's job. So I want to make sure they understand, and that." the clinician said, you have lung cancer. That is the first time wow. they heard it. Wow. Because he'd never said it in words like that. Wow. And so it that changed their entire outlook on everything, right? They had no idea. Mm-hmm. So it just goes to show you, we can all be a victim of that, right? Of using our own vernacular. But when it comes to your body and your life, you need to understand. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, there are lots of really great clinicians and when you ask them questions they they explain but i think as you point out sometimes they keep explaining in jargon until you break it down and one of the issues and i'm not blaming them at all but i i do think that one of the problems is that the you know that medicine has become corporatized so that time matters and there there's not an incentive to spend a lot of time with you there really isn't Again, I'm not blaming it. I'm saying, well, this is the way this is the world we live in right now. Right, right, right. And and so, 
it seems that, you know, to put it kind of um, in plain language, part of your job is to slow down the process, <laughs> to slow it, it down until it people is. get what they, you know, understand. And if they don't understand, well, explain it to me another way. And uh, to, you know, keep asking the question to, until you're satisfied. So, again, I think that, you you know, because of your knowledge, you provide that kind of assist that I think there's a natural reluctance on our part to do so. So it's, a, it's an important function. And the communication function is really critical. It's huge. And the reality is that um, healthcare illiteracy is very high in our country, mm-hmm. um, especially for 65 and older. That's just that means you could be perfectly intelligent. You could be the most intelligent person I've ever met. However, when it comes to following up and understanding what the healthcare system is telling you and acting upon it, maybe you're not so good at it. Um, mm-hmm. It's also very low. Uh, literacy, healthcare literacy rate for young people just going off to college. So those that in between generation that's potentially caring for a loved one who's an older adult and uh, a, a college student or a young adult, it you're really getting the best of the worst, I guess, of literacy and healthcare on both ends. Right, right. Um, we're going to talk much more about that um, coming up. Um, so the, the, especially you know advocating for and i think a lot of um uh, old you know uh adult children find themselves in this situation right where yes. they're, they're accompanying their parents to see their doctors and they need to have this kind of advocacy but also sometimes they need help themselves yes. so we're going to talk when we come back from the break we're going to take much talk much more about this but uh folks um don't go anywhere um we'll be talking much more with patient advocate nicole christensen about uh the whole area of patient advocacy and how uh, we can do it for ourselves as well as our older loved ones. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burroughs and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, 
We press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burroughs and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific, because everyone can make money in real estate. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking today with Nicole Christensen, a longtime patient advocate, healthcare coordinator, and CEO of Care Answered. So before the break, we were talking with uh, Nicole about, um, you know, when we go to the doctor and uh, how we're often somewhat overwhelmed and and feeling vulnerable. Uh, we don't know what, what questions to ask. We're afraid to ask questions and, and look stupid and, and uninformed. So we don't ask them. So um, I wanted to ask Nicole then to follow up on that and, and talk a little bit more about how to prep for going to the doctor. What should we do? What should we have with us? What should we know beforehand? Absolutely. So... Um, as we all probably know, we only get a few minutes with our clinicians, right? Mm-hmm. 10 minutes, 15 minutes if you're lucky. I've met some folks that get a long time. They're the really lucky ones. But either way, you want to make the most of that time. And they're likely not going to give you much more because there's other patients waiting. And you've been in that situation and you don't want to have to wait either. But the way to prepare is to know what you're going to say or ask. So. Most of us are not really fond of going to the doctor's office, right? It's not because they're not fine people. It's because, you know, it's in the middle of our day. We don't want to hear any bad news. <laughs> we just want to get on with it. So what I what I recommend for everyone, whether it's uh, somebody that you're coming going to see because there's a problem or it's just an annual visit, whatever it is, make sure whatever concerns you have are written down. Hmm. So, and you bring those with you. So if I have an appointment in a month from now and something is bothering me, maybe I felt dizzy all of a sudden and then I wasn't, so I'm not going to remember it Hmm. in a month, right? You need to write that down. I felt dizzy for some unknown reason. I don't know why. Um, And then maybe you'll write it down if you had it, um, after that point, sometime between that and the next doctor's appointment. If anything that concerns you, you need to bring it up. Um, And then you have to bring that same information with you. So whether that's a piece of paper, in my book, I have a a health notebook so you can write down, but, or you can use your phone, whatever you want to use, make sure you bring that with you. And then whatever answers you get, write them, write down the answers. Because I think Many of us have gone home from a doctor's appointment to our loved ones who say, how was the appointment? Uh, fine. Yeah, it was fine. <laughs> that's not really, <laughs> that's not really helpful. Um, so if it's like, oh, okay, I got my blood test and everything's good. Great. But you want to get out of their information. You're not just going to say hello to your clinician. Okay. So you want to make sure you get your questions answered. So besides asking um, and having a list of your questions and then writing down those answers, to every medical visit that you have, you should have with you 
your list of medications. So Mm -hmm. that's every medication that you're on, whether it's over the counter or prescribed, you want to have that dosage of that medication, why you take that medication, when you take that medication, meaning like morning, night, what have you, Mm -hmm. and who prescribed it. So many of us are saying, it's the same doctor that prescribed it. He or she knows this already. No, do not take that for granted. They may not. We're all human. First Mm -hmm. of all, mistakes happen. One of the things that uh, we were talking off air about is when we go into a clinician's office and we speak to maybe the physician assistant and they ask us a whole bunch of questions. And then the clinician comes in and they ask us the same questions. It's annoying. I understand that. And your time is valuable too. However, it's best if you do just be patient Mm. and answer those questions because if person A made a mistake, you can correct it with person B because again, humans are very fallible and they're working just as much as we only get 10 minutes or 15 minutes with our clinician. They only have less than that with every single patient. So, um, So let's just answer those questions and make sure we're ready to go. You know, you can have that paper. You'd be like, here it is. Here's the information right here. Just make sure it says exactly that in the computer, please, or read it out to them. Whatever is going to be the most efficient for you, because those medication mistakes are real. They happen a lot Um, or diagnosis errors. You don't want that to happen just because they didn't have the right information or they got confused with another person who had similar initials. So um, definitely go through that. Then um, there's a good one that I call talk back. Mm -hmm. Um, So whenever the clinician says something to you, then repeat it back in your own words. Okay. So just like the example I told you about in the hospital with the clinician that was saying all these, using all of these words, none of which the patient understood until he said lung cancer. Um, The same thing could be going on in your doctor's appointment. Mm -hmm. So if you can reiterate in your own words, then you actually know it. And it also brings to the attention to that clinician, if you don't have it right, they can say, they can catch it right then and say, no, no, that's not what I, that's not what I meant to say. Let me word it another Mm -hmm. way. Um, So they're learning too. Because Mm -hmm. none of us learns or hears or understands in the same way. So the more ways that people can explain something, especially when it comes to our health care, the better for all of us. So don't be afraid to ask those questions um, and make sure that you can reiterate. Don't be like, oh, I don't have the time or I don't get it. If you don't get it, then don't leave there till you do. Right. Yeah. Well, we can keep going, but I just run and reiterate myself. So those are three (laughs) really good tips for me this so first starting write it down because i think that that's often what happens too you're 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 still sort of intimidated so people are explaining something to you and you're looking at them but you're not really you're not really getting it all (laughs) and if you have to write it down you will get it and because as you start to write it wait i don't understand that you know and that's and that of course myself being a writer it's like yep that's a good idea yeah that's a good one for you right some other person would be like no that's not going to help me but whatever it is if you're talking it back if you're writing it those are all helpful so that to make sure that you understand right if you can't write it down then you really don't understand it so that's great first tip the meds i think is important too because you know 
there is this whole thing about polypharmacy these days about how mm-hmm. meds get uh, the the meds individually are fine, but then collectively as a cocktail there may be problems. So always sort of being clear about what your latest meds are. I think that's really important. And I think the talk back is great too. And I think again, that's that sort of goes back to the first point of like, if if you can explain it, then you got it. If you can't, so but it sort of forces you to do it. So I think those are three really great tips. I'm glad you think so. Yeah, yeah. I think that they prove very helpful for most things, but this is your life. So it's really important to do and just take a moment to do. It doesn't take much time at all. And honestly, if you're prepared at a doctor's appointment, so my doctors are always like, oh, here she comes. She got <laughs> here she comes. She got she got a notebook. Um, so um, but it actually makes it go much easier, much faster for the clinician um, and for you. Mm-hmm. You just want to get the answers that you need and go on your merry way. So uh, I strongly, strongly recommend it. Yeah. And I think even any clinician who thinks, well, this is taking more time, I think ultimately does appreciate it because they're responsible for you as a patient. Yeah. I've always gotten positive feedback as a patient as well. Always positive feedback. They're like, okay, so you really get it. So they just, because their job is to do no harm. They're trying to help you. So the fact that you can be helped because you understand that makes them happy. It doesn't, I've never had a negative thing said as a patient being prepared. Yeah, and I think that they they appreciate the fact that you're paying attention because I think that going back to our point about you feel intimidated, I think a lot of times, you know, part of our our, our uh, you know our, our tendency is that we're scared a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want anything to be wrong, so we're like, right. uh, everything's no, we're good, we're good. <laughs> you know, so you know by st- slowing yourself sure. down and saying, well, all right, look, come on, let's 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 really look at this, and because if we as you will know, if you catch something early, it's much better than than you put it off, and and this will only help your your doctor. Yes, absolutely. It's it, you know, not knowing is not the answer. It doesn't help anything, right. um, and you can fight a lot of ill by knowing the information. Right, right. So let's segue a little bit now to from the doctor's office to the hospital because there's some similarities, but uh, you know, one of the things that you've covered a lot is. Um, and had personal experience with, unfortunately, which is medical errors in the mm-hmm. hospital, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, it's a big problem. And again, I'm not trying to be super critical of hospitals. It just, there's so much happening, so much going on that these things happen. So what can we do in hospitals to, to when one of our loved ones or or we ourselves go into a hospital to prevent medical errors, to help, help them and help ourselves? So... of medical errors are preventable. And that's just the ones that happen generally in hospitals, not even including all of those that happen in our home or other healthcare institutions. A lot of that, as we discussed briefly before, is medication errors, diagnosis errors. There's still wrong site site surgeries that happen all the time. So again, it's about being prepared. So what I say in the hospital is, first of all, when you get admitted into a hospital, there's a patient's bill of rights. Nobody looks at it <laughs> mm-hmm. except me, but it, you have rights. And again, that's another vulnerable situation, as we said before, when you're going to a hospital and even those who love you just the same as a doctor's appointment. So a patient advocate is not necessarily the person who loves you the most. I find that a lot of times those are those who are closest to us 
are also in a fog when something bad is happening because mm-hmm. that's their person. Um, so it, it, it makes sense and it's very helpful to have a patient advocate. Um, the other thing is, so you have your patient rights. The other thing is have your advocate ask these questions. You know, if you're going for a test, what is that test for? Um, why are you having this test? What will that tell us? What new medications is this loved one taking now? Here is their list of medications they were taking at home. Now they're in the hospital. Are any of these different? You want to know what that is. And you want to make sure that they know what medications they're already taking and diagnosis they already have. Because mm. oftentimes when we're in the hospital, we may not be in the hospital for the, something that we already have a diagnosis of. It might be something completely new. So again, medication errors, if you're on a medication that will... Um, is counterindicated for a medication they want to give you for this new incident, you don't want that to happen. So you mm-hmm. want them to know all of this information. Um, and then you have it within within your information as well, what the community doctor was potentially prescribing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so ask all of those questions. Um, make sure that you're being heard. So have your had advocate, if you're concerned as a patient, you know, tell somebody, um, let them know that you are concerned and then we can suss out what the reason for the concern is later, right? We want to make sure that if you're concerned that they're getting to it right away and not being like, oh, you know, you're you're fine, you're fine. Don't say you're fine if you're not fine because um, those little little things that your loved one, yourself or your patient advocate can pick on, pick up can make the difference. Um, I had a... Uh, a client not too long ago who I was an advocate for uh, while she had uh, cancer. And um, we got through that and that was, she was doing very well. Um, She didn't have a healthcare proxy. And that's another thing I'm going to talk about quickly about being prepared for hospitalization or just life. If you're 18 or over, you should have a healthcare proxy. And what is a healthcare proxy? That's putting somebody in place to speak on your behalf regard to health, in regard to healthcare decisions. So if you become incapacitated, somebody can speak on your behalf. So that's somebody you trust, somebody you trust with your medical information because they have to know this to be able to tell them what your medications are, what your diagnoses are, et cetera. And they know what you would want. So again, people think of incapacitated, pull the plug or don't pull the plug. It's not it's not that it's not that cut and dry. If God forbid I fainted right now, I'm incapacitated. Mm-hmm. So somebody would need to speak for me because I can't speak for myself. I myself have a patient advocate if I'm hospitalized. So it's not that I don't know what to ask or what to do, clearly, but if you're ill, you don't have that capacity at that time, even if you have capacity, uh, because things get very confused. So just making sure that you're prepared, you understand that you have rights, you have your list of medications, you have your healthcare proxy and they're informed and somebody else is there to help you to make those decisions or to bring about that knowledge about yourself so that they can treat you properly. Yeah. So one of the things I think I've heard you say before too is, is again, the communication function. You, You mentioned having your healthcare proxy informed. 
Um, and you mentioned, uh, I forget the exact term, something like a surprise healthcare proxy where yes. someone, like, yes. all of a sudden, oh, by the way, oh, by the way, you're the healthcare proxy. Oh, I am? <laughs> yeah, they get <laughs> called by them. the hospital. And they're right. just like, oh, you're the healthcare proxy. And they're like, what? Because it's interesting because the healthcare proxy form in New York and most other states the person who is designated the healthcare proxy does not sign the form. It's the person who, who's creating the healthcare proxy who's saying, I want this person to be my healthcare proxy signs it. And then two witnesses who are not the healthcare proxy. So um, don't be by surprise. These are regular conversations you need to be having at least yearly with the person that's your healthcare proxy. Right. And one of the other things you've mentioned to me, I think is important is, you know, when, when you go into the hospital, Again, communicating. Does your does your primary physician know you're in the hospital? Correct. Right? Correct. As I was saying briefly about this client I had, she found herself in the hospital. Um, they called me. I wasn't the healthcare proxy, but they had known I was her advocate. And I also knew that she was allergic to shellfish. And they were about to give her a contrasting MRI, which would have killed her. She had wow. sepsis. Um, if they didn't have that information, I got in contact with her primary care physician so that they could be in contact with the hospital. So just those things and making sure they knew her background and that the community doctor was involved, that saved her life. I can say now she she recovered beautifully and she's doing really well. But without that advocate, they don't have that knowledge or without at least a healthcare proxy that's acting as your advocate. Wow. Yeah, that's that's really important. Um, so let's see, I, I wanted to, um, to talk, you talked about earlier about when you go in, you know, the raising the issues that, that, and looking at your symptoms. So I think of, and listening to some of your presentations, some of which are terrific online webinars, but you mentioned, you know, what you're feeling as you go into the hospital. So you have these questions like, I am concerned, I am uncomfortable, yeah. I am scared, yeah. you know. Plain English yeah. feelings that we're often plain English. We're reluctant yeah. to really admit. So um, we're, now we're going to take another quick break. Um, so I'm going to uh, start on the other side of the break with these questions and also uh, something else you've mentioned before: uh, sidebar, sbar, right? The symptoms, background of previous experiences, assessment and request. Basically, you know, just again, sort of a checklist approach, which I, I'm, all, I'm I'm big fan of, so we don't make mistakes. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so folks, uh, we are going to come right back after a quick break. Uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be back talking much more with patient advocate Nicole Christensen. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for the Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks, to 45 Forward. We're talking with Nicole Christensen, the founder and CEO of Care Answered. So before the break, we were talking about some sort of uh, plain language questions and concerns that, that patients have that really need to be stated and stated straight out. And uh, you, you've got a, a really good sort of checklist approach to this. So let me start with that about some of the questions of how, how to raise issues. So you have... These three questions, I'm concerned, I'm uncomfortable, I'm scared. Right. So those are basic English, right? Um, Mm -hmm. If you are uncomfortable, say I am uncomfortable. We can figure out what it's from, from there. Um, So for example, um, I'm uncomfortable, I'm scared, I'm concerned. Just bringing that up makes people take notice. So it doesn't even matter who you say it to within the hospital facility. They should say back to you, okay, let me get somebody if they're not the right person. Um, Or say, okay, what are you scared about? That generally stops healthcare workers kind of in their tracks. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, you're saying something to me. Their job, you don't have to figure it all out. They should ask you questions or you can think about it a little bit more. But that at least starts the conversation to getting you the care that you need. And if you have a patient advocate, you say that, and then we'll ask you more probing questions so that we can both talk to the clinicians or whomever it is together. So within a hospital, there's kind of, we know in everything, there's kind of a hierarchy, right? And so I'm I'm always of the belief that you start with the person that you think provides the care, right? So- Mm -hmm. Um, with unconcerned or uncomfortable or scared, again, you can bring that to anybody um, and that should stop them in their tracks. If you're having an issue with medication, you're concerned about medication or when it's being given or what have you, go to the person that's doing that, okay? Go directly mm-hmm. to them. It's just kind of like everything that we do, but it's hard to think of when we're in, we're a patient, it seems different. So what I would recommend if time is available 
um, go to the person that directly does that thing. And then if they can't help or they won't help, or seemingly won't help, then go to their supervisor. So there's a nursing supervisor. There's uh, oftentimes it's a hospitalist um, who's your clinician uh, in the hospital. Um, there's CNAs. There, those are the people that help you with all of your daily living things while you're in the hospital. Oftentimes, mm -hmm. uh, there could be a wound care doctor or a nurse. So whenever those specific things go to them and then go higher up, if mm -hmm. it's something like I'm scared, something is happening. Don't worry about that. Just go to the highest person uh, and find out and figure it out. Um, they'll figure it out for you or go straight to the administration. If it's a life and death or severe pain or something that you're not being heard or you feel like your client or your loved one is not being heard, go up the highest way that you can. Just mm -hmm. make sure that you're understandable. Right. So the patient, it's hard for that patient to be made understood um, because they're in pain or they're uncomfortable or they're not conscious or there's a million things. When you're in a hospital, we not, might not have the framework to address things appropriately. But um, if you're the advocate or you're the healthcare proxy or loved one, be sure that you can express yourself in a way that it makes sense so that you can get the help that you need. Right. If you're not great at that, get a patient advocate. Yeah. And just going from these general concerns, then the other piece that you mentioned goes mm -hmm. more the general to the specific. So this other right. acronym SBAR. Yeah. So yeah. S-B-A-R. Explain these uh, acronym here. So when you have a little better understanding mm -hmm. of what you're feeling and you're the patient or the loved one or the advocate, okay, what symptoms am I feeling? So let's just make up something, okay? So uh, my back really hurts. My lower back really hurts. And sometimes I have back pain, but since I've been here, my back really hurts. Like I, I feel it all the time. And my background, so SBAR, symptoms, that's the symptom that you're feeling. Uh, the background is, you know, 20 years ago, I was in a car accident and I hurt my back. And it hurt like this when I first had the accident, but not since then. This is, this is new for, for this time and space. So my assessment, my assessment might be that did something happen when I had my surgery or when I was what have you that could have hurt my back? Because again, it hasn't hurt like this in 20 years. And I know I've had previous condition, but this doesn't feel like that. Is there something that could be at? And then it is, can we figure that out? My, That's the request. So you did your assessment, just basic. You don't have to be a clinician, mm -hmm. um, just your feelings. And then the request is, can we figure out why this is? And maybe, can I have pain medication because this is unbearable? But you want to ask, so make a request at the end of it. Just telling people information without asking for something may not be heard in the same way that you want it to be. So right. make that request at the end. SBAR, symptoms, Great. background of, or previous experience, assessment, and request. Great. Thank you for that. So, um, all right. So we're, we're in the hospital, but then, of course, you get discharged. And oh, that's boy. that's that's another, you know, part of the, uh, the process. So... Uh, the question you should ask going in and then what what should you know going out and and in terms of also working with advocates to make sure you you're prepared to be discharged right so one of the things I say is you prepare 
for discharge upon admission. Mm. Okay. So from the time you go into a hospital or healthcare setting, you're planning to get out, right? There's nobody going in saying, yep, this is where I'd like to stay, right? So we should always be planning for discharge. So those conversations need to be started at the beginning, whether this is a hospital or a rehab. Either way, that's where you start with. When I say, I mean physical and occupational rehab or skilled nursing facility, that's for short term. So <clears throat> those questions might be, you know, I might be as straightforward as I have a cat and I live by myself and they're alone. <laughs> like, what do I do with my cat? Because that's a big concern for a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. Or I have a two-story walk-up and I just had hip surgery in this hospital. What is that going to look like? How am I going to prepare for that? You want to know, you want to be preparing for discharge upon admission. Um, maybe not in when you're excruciating pain, but your advocate or your healthcare proxy, the loved one should be asking those questions because upon discharge is not the time to be preparing for discharge because that can happen fast and furiously. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I'd mentioned about when we're in a hospital or going to a doctor's office or just having on us at all times is our list of medications. Mm -hmm. Right. So there have been times that I've had clients that were in the hospital and they were like, OK, we're ready for discharge. But they had them on a medication and I spoke with them, the clinician, as well as with my client altogether and said, OK, what if these medications? We got a list from them. What if these medications are is she expected to go home with and continue on? Because there's sometimes we're in a hospital and those medications that we're taking, we've already deemed appropriate and the, the staff there is deemed appropriate, but they're not appropriate for home, right? Mm -hmm. So, but then there are some that, okay, because of this, all of this happened, you need to be taking this medication. So you want to know, okay, this is a medication I'm going to have to take when I'm home. I don't want to be found out when I'm being wheeled out of the hospital that you have no access to said medication that they've prescribed, right? Mm -hmm. We want to make sure we either are leaving with it or it's already been called in. Not only that it's been called into our pharmacy, but the pharmacy actually has it. Um, so you can't, that's not a safe discharge. If there's life-saving medication, which most of it is going to be when you're being discharged from a hospital, to be quite honest, um, even if it's your regular medication, your heart medication is still life-saving medication. If you don't mm -hmm. have it, it's bad news. So, um, you want to make sure that you have access to that medication. You want to make sure you're in uh, physical capabilities to take care of whatever it is you take care of at home before mm -hmm. you're discharged at home. As I've had stories as far ago as 20 years and as recent as five years ago, where people were discharged without the capability of getting into their home, but they're discharged in front of their home. They can't get in. That's not a proper discharge. Right. Um, so making sure that all that information is there uh, so that you can get home safely. We all want to get back home, generally speaking, or wherever in the community that we're going. We want to make sure that we have everything to live uh, our best and healthy life when we get there. Right, right. So uh, a lot of the things you're mentioning are in your book, From Crisis to Calm. So I just wanted to mention that quickly. And, and I, I like the title a lot because that's where that's where we're at. <laughs> we're yeah. generally in crisis and how do we get to some semblance of calm 
or stability at least. So, right, right. so, so how, how do people get a hold of your book? So you can find from crisis to calm it, wherever books are sold, right? Okay, <laughs> as All they right. say, as they say, um, I have had a number of events and I'll continue to have them where I have book signings here in New York. Uh, but I also do a lot of chats on the subject all over the country because of ritual technology. Right. right. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's really an expansion of the mission of Care Answered. Our ta- tagline is we get healthcare done. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we're not working with everybody in the world, which of course we're not. But if in a book, at least you can have the information so that you feel empowered and you have the information to be your own best advocate or to be a better advocate for loved ones. Right. And I want to say one more thing in regard to that, not my mm-hmm. book, but just being a good advocate is a lot of us are uh, not comfortable using portals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I invite you to try to get more comfortable because that enables you to see all of that information. Your medications are there. Your conversations are there now, thanks to policy reform in which the doctor's notes are actually within our portals. We can also communicate with our doctors quickly um, through that. So utilize that. We can put the notes in there. Um, so utilize those things because it makes us a better patient, which means we're going to have better health care. Right. So um, people can reach you at um, uh, careanswer.com, right? That's, yes. yes. Okay. Yes. But if people don't, and just in, in a, we don't, we're running out of time, but I just want to squeeze this in. Uh, how do people find patient advocates? Good question. So now people are looking for them more than ever. So there's a few organizations. There's AdvoConnect. Um, but if you just look at patient advocacy, you'll probably find a few of them. There's also the National Alliance for Care Advocates, Health mm-hmm. Advocates. Um, there's a number of them. A lot of times when people I ask, how did you find me? They said, I looked up patient advocacy. Okay. Um, so we're on a lot of them and a board certified patient advocates are are here for you. Right. And so uh, you can find uh, board certified advocates as well on, on these. Yes. Portals. Yes. Okay, good, good. Yes. Um, Great. Well, there's a lot more to talk about, but we'll just I have, know. We'll just have to bring <laughs> we'll have to bring you back and we can zero in on certain problems. But I I would love I, that. Yeah, I just want to thank you so much, Nicole, for a terrific conversation, very informative. Um and uh and any any last thoughts, you know, before I close? Any I I, I loved the fact that uh you know you you coordinate and navigate the healthcare system so your loved ones have peace of mind. We make sure things get things done. The other thing I loved was your, you know, your, your sense of um, agency. Of us. And, and I, I loved you had this quote from the Dalai Lama. There are only two days when nothing can be done yesterday and tomorrow. Take charge today. So exactly. Think, yeah. So that's, that's you in my eyes. So that's um, <laughs> pleased that we had this opportunity to have you on the show and we'll have you again. So, folks, uh, you can uh, tell your friends if they missed my conversation with Nicole today, they can listen to it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com, search for 45 Forward, or you can go to roelresources.com and click on the 45 Forward tab and you'll find Nicole there. So be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern time, when I'll be talking with Ben Green and Scott and uh, Scott Fisher, the founders of the Colorado-based Aging Wisely Project. It's a very interesting, innovative project. So until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 forward. 
Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.